make you intelligent, but we're here to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabres podcast. I am one of your hosts, Devor. Brandon is not able to join us tonight for this recording, but I am joined by my other co-host and friend. He may not be Axel Greylark, but he's still my chaos. It's... (laughs) Wow, that was a good one. Hey, it's Drew. That was really clever. I'm proud (laughs) of you. Thank you. That's amazing. This is why I wanted you to go first, because I had none of that prepared. A hundred percent didn't even think about that until this moment. How are things in your life these days, Devore? They're all right. They're all right. Yep. Yeah. Can't complain Good. too much. Now, I, I can't remember. Have you been to the Taylor Swift show, or are you going to the that Taylor Swift this show? this weekend. <gasps> really? This Saturday. A mere Two so days by the, away. by the time people hear this, you will have already combusted into this yes. amazing light of sparkles and glitter. I will already the number thirteen. Yep, <laughs> you have ascended. Uh, yes, that's amazing. Very jealous of you for that. Mm-hmm. I hope you have a good time. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Good. I didn't even try to get tickets for this one. I said, you know what? This is not going to be worth the struggle for me. I'm just going to enjoy vicariously through everybody else's It took so long. It was four hours. Four hours? Good grief. From 10 to (laughs) 2 in the virtual queue, just leaving my laptop and just waiting. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm kind of glad I made the call I did. I'll get her to the next go around, maybe. Yeah. Well, as as everybody knows, the this is not the Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that they can enjoy. But unfortunately, we'll we'll handle that one another day, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So for for tonight's episode, we are going to be taking a look back at Phase Two of the High Republic. At the time that we're recording this, we're a little a bit of about a month past the release of Path of Vengeance by Kevin Scott, which is the the final book in. High Republic Phase 2, not necessarily the final story in Phase 2. I think we will still be getting a Mm -hmm. few couple things here and there over the course of the summer, but in terms of the books, at least, it is done. And so Drew and I are going to look back at Phase 2 and sort of talk about the things we liked, maybe the things we didn't like as much, questions that we have, looking ahead to Phase 3, looking a little back, perhaps, at Phase 1. And yeah, this is not going to follow, you know, like the best and butts format or anything. It's just going to be kind of a a free flowing conversation wherever it takes us. Mm -hmm. We might pose some questions to each other about phase two. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I've I've been looking forward to to this episode. I thought we might be doing a little bit later, but I'm super glad that we're doing it now. So, yeah. Yeah, well, like you said, we're kind of towards the ends of the major the releases. There's still some comics and stories and collections to come. But uh, by and large, we have, I think we have the entirety of the vision that they had cast for Phase 2, don't you think? Yeah, I think we have it in big, broad strokes. Like you said, we might get a couple mm-hmm. more stories, but we kind of have the beginning and the end. And the yeah. big things that happen in between. So <laughs> There's a couple of them. There's a yep. couple things that are important. 
So yeah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. On that note, we're going to take a break and we're going to dive right in to phase two of the High Republic. of great exploration when the steady blade of the lightsaber burns bright the jedi and the republic venture into the farthest reaches of the outer rim traveling further into the galactic frontier than ever before they will encounter worlds locked in interplanetary war and a group intent on setting the force free they will journey to a mysterious paradise planet, unspoiled and full of potential. But all is not what it seems. And nameless terrors lurk around every corner. All right, we're back. And now we're going to, to dive into phase two of the High Republic. So I think maybe a good place for the conversation to start is to kind of go back to the announcement of phase two and particularly mm. the announcement. I mean, we knew we were going to get it. We had always known from the start of the project that it was going to be in these three big phases. But I'm pretty I'm curious, Drew, about your kind of initial reaction to when we got the announcement about, you know, we're going into phase two and it was starting, but that also we were going to be getting this jump back in time. Yeah, it was very surprising, although perhaps in standard Star Wars fashion where the second set of entries goes back in time. I don't know if that was particularly the direction they intended to go or if this was a story beat that they wanted to do in this particular order. Either way, it was fine. I think one of my initial concerns at the beginning of the High Republic in general was that 200 years before Phantom Menace wasn't a very long time to separate it from all the events that we knew. So another 150 years back is, is good. I think it was, it was interesting to keep going back in that direction. It's still not quite your Dawn of the Jedi or Old Republic eras and whatnot, but it was interesting to kind of go back and see. I don't know that the aspect they tried to sell us on of the galaxy still being explored and a lot of the the challenges they were having was was mainly going to be based around lack of communication systems between far flung places and and more core core locations. I don't really know that was as strong as a hook as they perhaps wanted it to be, because I never really felt like, oh gee, if only they could make a phone call, all of their problems would be solved, and and that was the major hurdle that they had to overcome. It's like no, they have bigger fish to fry than that. So I'm not really sure the because w w when they pitched phase two, when they first really kind of gave us the details, wasn't like the whole Pathfinder thing yes. much more important. It almost felt like, you know how kind of like in phase one, the Dren gear had their, their time in the spotlight, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't really do a whole lot. That's kind of what I felt like the pathfinding aspect of things was. Did, did you feel far off from that too? Yeah, I kind of did. I think I was in a similar, now that you bring it up, I mean, I, and I'm thinking back to particularly because I was at Celebration at that High Republic panel when they were doing the unveiling of Phase 2. And yeah, like when they were talking about the Pathfinders and all that, I think I also, now that I kind of look back from the, from the standpoint of actually having seen the kind of major story beats of Phase 2, yeah, I think I sort of expected that 
also to be a big thing. And it's probably a bigger thing in the comics, which I haven't gotten into, although I want to actually get into, yeah. into higher public comics now a little bit. Um, now that we're kind of going into a little bit of a kind of quiet period in terms of publishing. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a big, like even in the books, like it comes up a little bit in like the middle grade and they pop up here and there in the story. But yeah, I think I kind of imagine that to be more of the kind of, you know, forward driving thrust of the story than it actually ended up being. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was intended to be kind of these dual path lines in order for the two different mm, audiences to really cl- cling to. Like in phase one, you had the Nihil and the Drengear. Yes. And then Drengear found its home in the comics and co- like the, it was in the, the one middle grade novel. And I'm not really sure that it, it, it really didn't play much more role into the, adult novels but i think it played more a role into the junior novels but mm-hmm. and similarly in phase two the pathfinder stuff is a little bit in the adult novel but it's probably like you said more more in detail in those other things did you so you haven't read any of the comics for any of the either of the phases yet is that right uh the only one that i did which i did last weekend after finishing path of vengeance is i read the eye of the storm miniseries Oh, the Mark and Rowe backstory yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Which actually that turns out for any of the folks who are maybe making their way right now through phase two, just a heads up. I the Storm is like, it's not like essential. You don't get a ton, but it does give you some good little like connective stuff between the phases. Again, mm-hmm. not a lot of it. But there are little things in there that particularly <laughs> with the context of phase two, you can look back and like, oh, this is what they're talking about here. There's a lot of those as we go back and revisit some of the early phase one things. Like I know Brandon's been working his way back through Light of the Jedi, and he's he's been calling out a lot of things that have been like this is a phase two arrow that it's pointing at. Um, and I don't know if you read the the manga from phase two, um, Precedent, Edge of Balance, Precedent. Not yet. But we we learn we come to learn where the 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 children's rhyme comes from. Do you mm-hmm. know the 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 little yeah. Shri Karai Karai. We learn where that comes from in that, that little okay. issue. Got it. I mean, one it's very thing, cool. <laughs> I mean, one thing that particularly now that I'm done with phase two that I, I want to revisit, because I mean, you were to your point about how like there's stuff in phase one that now we can look back and say like, oh, here it's alluding to phase two. Like I particularly mm-hmm. like the big thing I want to revisit right now and I would hope to want to do it at some point. Uh, again, now in this kind of book law, was I want to particularly re- revisit the early Martian chapters in Rising Storm when he goes to get the leveler. Oh. Because when I think back, I was like, I bet there's yeah. a lot of stuff in there that now with the Attic comics of these two. Yeah, because most of the last of the books in phase two, whose name escapes me, Path of Vengeance really felt like it was going to tie into it. But in the back of my mind, I feel like in that rising storm, isn't it more like an icy planet that yes. he's hunting the leveler for? Yeah. And does it, do I remember them mentioning both of the rods there as well? Oh, by the way, we should mention this will be a complete spoiler <laughs> for all of phase two. Yes. Uh, thank you. Drew. Probably should have put that way up front. Um, by the way, Oops. we're going to talk about everything. So if you haven't read it, you should probably, so here's the things you should catch up on the adult novels, the middle grade novels book, and 
well, I guess the manga, now that I kind of ruined some of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't read the comics, admittedly, although I've read the first couple. They released one collection, which is the first five or six issues. Um, so I finally figured out who Maddie was supposed to be. That was nice to finally put a face to the name. Um, but I think that's it. Is there anything else major for phase two we need to cover? Um, you may have already mentioned why. I, I have not I have, yeah, the YA books. I did not read the junior novel, so I haven't read Quest for Planet X, okay. nor have I read Quest for the Hidden City. Okay. Um, have you read either of those? I have. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like those added? Quest for Planet X, I think you may not be required reading for Path of Vengeance, but it probably would have helped. <laughs> yeah, it would have helped a little bit. Um, I, I think the big stuff has to do, yeah, with the Planet X stuff, and you get some added context for the Silver Streak, the ship that was crashed on it that they used to get out. You know, you find out a little bit okay. more about oh. those prospectors that are referenced there. That all ties into the middle grade. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should hunt those down. Okay. Well, what do you think was your favorite? Well, we'll just start easy then. What was your favorite entry in phase two? Oh, um, and, and why is it convergence? It might be convergence. <laughs> a path of deceit is really, very, it's very close. Cause I think it's a very strong start. It might still be oh, convergence though. It's real. Convergence is really good. Okay, I'm, I didn't really think you would go that direction because I think Convergence might be my favorite one. It's the most cohesive, um, and I was really surprised that it felt it felt like when reading Convergence, you're reading the entire story of these characters, and it could have never gone back to them, and it would have been a perfectly fine book. But then we get to come back and revisit them later on. What uh, what do you what, what stands out to you about Convergence? Why is that one on your top of your list? <sighs> I think a lot of it has to do probably with the centering of what's happening on Iron Arano and then particularly the characters of Ziri on Fantu, who I just really fell in mm-hmm. love with over the course of this phase. I just think they're like they're real their whole journeys are really compelling in terms of like there is that kind of whole sort of like Romeo and Juliet quality to them of like they're from these opposing sides and then they kind of you oh, know yeah. the, the star-crossed lovers but then also just the interesting the, the kind of nature of their relationship of like it starts really from this kind of purely political move that Ziri makes it doesn't really begin from love but then, particularly as you go into Cataclysm, you get to see them sort of evolve and try to figure out, like, well, okay, while we're married, we're together, like, what does that actually mean? How do we be, like, a unit? And I think it's really yeah. compelling just to see them, like, working that out. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of unique to this particular, even within, like, the Star Wars canon of books to begin with, is that following these two people develop a relationship with each other in kind of a much a more mature way it wasn't because you have kind of contrast and compare to marta in path of deceit mm-hmm. uh, marta and kevmo yeah who just kind of like as teenagers they're like oh uh, hormones out of control look somebody of the opposite and you know attractive gender um that must be for me never mind one and only now but 
Ziri and Fantu don't have that at all. Like they're at odds with one another and really they're able to set that aside in order to pursue a better path for their, their people in, in their entirety. But it is like you said, in cataclysm, we get to see them actually, you know, working through a positive relationship, uh, which is not always the way star Wars relationships go. <laughs> Correct. So, those two were pretty good. We'll talk about some of the other ones. <sighs> Battle of Jeddah seems to be getting some conversation. Uh, the audiobook versus the script. Where? What did? What was your experience um, with George Mann's first novel style book here for us? Yeah. So I I listened to it in the audio drum. I actually listened to all of these. So all of these books I did really? in the audio. Yes. Um, oh wow! Just because like. For me, it's just it's the fastest way for me to get through these books. Um, that's sort of my okay. why I'm I'm just sort of uh, generally speaking an audiobook listener by nature because again it's like it's like I'm on the commute I can listen to it I'm doing chores I can listen and I just get through it much faster than if I have to kind of block out the time and sit down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I listened to Battle of Jeddah along with again all the other Phase Two entries. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I yeah, I, I know like particularly for example like within our Clashing Sabers crew that there's been some divided opinion. Like some folks have not particularly liked it all that much, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite. Good. I mean, I think it's a stronger one, for example, than the Phase One audio drama Tempest Runner, which I don't much care for. Ah, but yeah. I, for my part, I liked it. Okay. What about you? Yeah, it was. It, I had read the the script when it was made available. I didn't. I I can't really do the Star Wars audiobooks anymore. I've I've done a lot of them in the past, um, but it got to the point where I was just really tired of hearing the same kind of delivery and the same kind of production over and over again. Okay. Um, where it felt very monotonous, and and, and I was losing interest in the story rapidly. So uh, I. Maybe go back, Maybe I'll be able to go back to it one day, but right now um, I was able to pick up the script for that one, and I really think that was a good entry. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I've tried, I've tried the Dooku Jedi Lost audio script and mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Okay, I couldn't. I couldn't make my way through it. I'll tell you, it's something I learned in Phase Two. I don't. I don't think Kevin Scott's my favorite author. Okay. Um, Any particular reason? It, which. His style of writing is there. There's something very distinct about it, and this was my problem with Rising Storm, mm-hmm. was that it felt very, very Twitter written. And what I mean by that is like you'd have, you know, some text, some text, some text, some text for a paragraph, but then you'd have like a button on the paragraph. Like for example, in the Rising Storm, the, the I, 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 that know, I, I know like, what oh, you're gonna okay. quote. I know it. I know which one you're gonna go to. It, yeah, are you okay? I do. The, when Elzar Man towards the end, Elzar Man, that's it, that's it. I know he's riding a dinosaur of some kind. And I don't even remember what's going on, but like it talks about how he, you know, and they looked up in the sky, and then, uh, there's Elzar on the back of a beast riding a dinosaur. End of paragraph. Next sentence indented for new paragraph because of course he, he does. Period. End of chapter. And I'm like, no. I knew it. That is, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't, there's something weird about a book that's not a script written in a way in which reflects the way people talk. You know, like it, 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 this, it's written in a way that you deliver in the same style of like a Ted talk or the reason I brought it up or like a Twitter thread, the way you end a Twitter thread with a button. 
Um, you, you know, and, and, you know, what, another Star Wars author who does this sometimes. And I think like it, it's funny that you mentioned like that's a reason that you're not jiving with Cavan. But I think like th this author also does it. And it's interesting that like it doesn't have that effect with Cavan, but it is having a little bit of effect with this particular author is uh, Daniel okay. Jose Older. He does it a little bit too. Hmm. Like interesting. There, there's some. I think it's mainly like he, he sometimes will like th will like weave in. Um, I get what we just like idioms or colloquial colloquialisms. Yes, <laughs> and like it, it sometimes has the effect of like taking me out of it a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like in Attack of the Clones when um, Owen introduces Baru as his girlfriend. You're like, wait a minute, girlfriend? <laughs> That's a word in the Star Wars universe. Okay. Yeah, it, you're definitely right. I think I, I'm starting to get used to Jose Older's um, writing. I can see I don't have. There's not a lot of his that I've read. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm reading the comics, and he wrote the um, the the Edge of Balance entry here, that, and I really, I really, really liked it. So we'll have to see. I'll keep an eye on the comics and see if that same issue kind of crops up later on. But even like when I was reading um, Path of Vengeance. You know, Kevin Scott's end to, or the major end to phase two, I was just like, I'm just not down with this style of writing. And I felt like it kind of went on and on and on and on. Maybe it was the fact that this was like the third time we're visiting the, the Battle of Dalna. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. But there's, that one was not my favorite entry of that book. Like, there, there's bits and pieces of it that I think were very interesting and, and, and fascinating and interesting little moments and whatnot but overall it's, it's it's getting a little tough which is why i was kind of glad like george mann brought a really interesting voice um convergence with zoretta cordova was really good because yeah. i don't it's, i know cordova wrote a crash of fate blacks crash of fate that's the one the, the one that's I won't your shut up. the one you're yep you're yeah <laughs> you continually evangelize correct for um who wrote Force Collector? Is that someone in this Kevin team? Kevin Sinek. I think, is that how you pronounce his last okay. name? Okay. I could be wrong about that. Sh that's a, you, you, if Shinnick. you had sold it with like 10% more confidence, I would have totally bought in. I wouldn't even have to Google it. Um, no, I don't think that person is in this team here. No. Um, I mean, we do have a new person, Path which is Deceit. Lydia Kang. Yeah. <laughs> Not new to Star Wars writing, but new to the High Republic. New to the High Republic and yeah. was really good. Yes. Big fan, big fan. So let me see. I'm going to have to find. Where is Lydia Kang's book here? Cataclysm. Cataclysm, yep. Wait a minute. Which one was first? Convergence or Cataclysm? Convergence, Convergence was first. And yeah. Cataclysm came out later. Cataclysm, this is the problem I'm running into. I Okay. Big picture. Phase two, phase one. Phase one complaint was that you kind of had to read everything to be caught up on all the little bits and pieces because a lot of stuff was in motion that if you didn't pay attention to everything, you were going to miss out on important things. Phase two does not suffer from this problem. Almost to a fault. <laughs> a lot of phase two is like, we're going to tell one single story from front to back. Big fan of that issue or, or, or that approach rather. Not a what big fan of how many times we have to revisit the same things in different entries because now I'm starting to lose what happens in each individual book because it's being covered so many times. So which one is cataclysm? <laughs> cataclysm? So cataclysm is really where we get the kind of bulk of battle of Dalna. Okay. Yeah. 
That's all right. the... This is, it's the one where Fant- he stows away in the ship yes. when they go to Dalna and yeah. just appears towards the end, which was, which was cute, which was fine. Yeah. I liked... I, I thought that one was pretty good. I liked Cataclysm pretty good. I did too. Yeah. I thought it was a really strong book. I think, um, you know, I think anytime when you have a book where a big chunk of it is a battle, I think that is always a particular, like a writing challenge in terms of like Mm. keeping everything straight. And like, you sort of got like, you know, you have the situation where like, you've got this battle going on and you've got like all these different theaters and you got to kind of toggle among all the theaters and keep it straight. Like, I think just from a kind of writing perspective, I think that that is a, that that is a kind of a, a, just a sort of challenge and you know from a storytelling perspective and i think she mm-hmm. did that really well in terms of like it's like here's like yaddle and company over here and then like <laughs> gala and axel over here and kyong here and like just following across and doing it in a way where you're not left too confused about like where is everybody like what is happening mm-hmm. But even that with like you had to overlap what was going to be happening in a path of vengeance at the same time, yeah, because all of that battle in cataclysm is taking above ground, yes, and then but in path of vengeance, we get to see what's happening in the caverns underneath, which I thought was an interesting way to do it. I really would be fascinated to see like a whiteboard that they all had to work off of that has like the columns of what characters are where and a timeline of like because there's a certain point where the bombs go off in path of vengeance which caused the sinkhole and the water to flood the caverns yeah um we understand what happened but back in cataclysm all we know is that some rumble went through the ground and then there's just you know the ground just falls in right we don't know what happened at that point so i thought it was an interesting way they kind of layered those two things together that there was always something happening somewhere you didn't always get the explanation within that particular text but if you went to a corresponding text that was occurring at the same time you could get more of the story that way yeah which is kind of neat the only problem i had with that particular moment or not moment but that aspect is one of the things i liked about the path of the open hand when it started in path of deceit and we should talk about naming conventions for these books we got to get a little bit more clever um because we got path of path of path of and then we have quest for the quest for the quest for yes we couldn't use like a second pass at some of these names anyway path of deceit you get the feeling like path of the hand is this small conclave of like not more than a couple hundred people, right? Right. But by the time you get to the Battle of Dalna, um, you have thousands of people pouring out of these caverns. And I'm just like, where are these people coming from? Like the scale of the path of the, the open hand just kind of increased dramatically. And I was starting to lose confidence that we knew what was going on because, okay, I thought this was supposed to to be a smaller conclave you know just this weird group of people who lived on the edge of town and we're slowly trying to take over a town but now it's more like we're taking over a planet like i didn't really it it didn't feel good (laughs) that's not exactly the most uh interesting criticism it didn't feel good but I, i really don't know how else to think about that at the moment did you have any experience like that where you're just kind of like what's happening in these fights no, I, I don't. I don't think I had that that same reaction to it. Um, I mean, you're you're right that you know we meet the path in Path of Deceit, and they seem like this kind of 
little commune thing and then yeah by the time of cataclysm they've got these droids and there's all these bombs and yeah like yeah there's massive droid armies i knew you're gonna love those guys <laughs> yes uh so yeah i mean like and, and even yeah i mean it sometimes also kind of gets to a question of like i mean this is I mean, how often does this trope or come up in Star Wars storytelling, which is like passage of time? Like how much, like from from True. path to from path of to path of, how much time has passed? <laughs> and it's kind of like it falls into the same problem as like most major blockbuster movies have of like the henchmen problem of like who are these people following these guys and where who's paying them? What do they, what do they do? Like. Why do people keep signing up with the bad guys just to fight the good guys? Like I know it's in order to have somebody to fight, and they like in the Battle of Dawn, you got to throw something major against you know the entire Jedi Council coming to your front doorstep. But at a certain point, you got to ask yourself: Does it make sense for this many people to be doing this kind of work underground and just not be all that present up until we need them? It felt very convenient. Yeah, you know, since we're on the subject, like, let's sort of talk about the path of the open hand kind of more generally as the sort of main okay. adversary in phase two. So what are you sort of your general thoughts just about, like, you know, them as a as a kind of organization, again, as the main antagonist? And then we can kind of talk more specific, go into that and talk more specifically about specific members of the path that we meet. Okay. Um, loved it in the story. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Um thought it was a very interesting way to use something that could be good in any kind of other context. Um, really scared what it says about real world analogies to religion. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as a, as a, as a very religious person myself, I was like, yeah, this is how the world sees a lot of, a lot of us. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, it's well earned. Um, but I thought just the very concept of, the force being free from interference was an interesting prospect because there's absolutely no way to test it. Uh, and I like that the Jedi had no problem calling that out, but there's also no way to immediately disprove it as well. Like I didn't, there's not a lot of tangible, measurable, quantifiable metrics you could place against it. Uh, the idea that abuse of the force on one planet could influence a failure of the force in another planet, you know, a zero sum approach to, I don't know what the forces activity or participation or self control. It really, it, it, it imputes a level of personal will and a finite ability to enact that will on the force that I think nothing else in star Wars does which is fine because that's the same feeling of like, I've never seen this before that the Jedi are encountering. Yes. Right. It, so we're on our heels, just like the Jedi are on their heels to say, what are you talking about? That's a complete, I don't want to say wrong reading, but it's definitely different and feels bad. Um, and, and it liked that the Jedi were willing to engage in that conversation with them even if it was a fruitless kind of conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they never really got anywhere. You, you couldn't disprove it too. And I don't really know how you prove or disprove any of that. So it always made me ask the question, where did this originate from? Where did it come from? Like, is this just something the mother developed in order to attract a following 
Or was it like many things that we see in history where it started out with the best of intentions and some kind of altruistic origination and yet was hijacked by people like the mother? Yeah, I from my sort of read and sense of what I get from the books that I think it is more the latter because I think she is described as a refugee who kind of just shows up on Dalna and then claims to have these visions and is taken as a prophet. So I think that I think this, what we are meant to get is that the path has been existing for some heretofore undefined period of time. <laughs> yeah, there's that T word again. Yes. And then is taken over and warped by the mother for her own designs. Then it, it's weird that it doesn't. It hadn't spread as much beforehand. Like if this really was the first time that the Jedi and perhaps the universe and Force users at large are encountering it. Um, again, it kind of goes back to the if this is a small enough group to uh, to to slide under the nose of the Jedi and the Force using community at large. Why are there billions? <laughs> why does it feel like there's too many of them by the time we get to Cataclysm and whatnot? Anyway, not to beat that horse again. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I loved the path of the open hand. The path of the open hand is probably my favorite thing just about phase two more generally. Uh, As an adversary, I sort of found them more compelling than I have found the Nile in phase one. Mm. Just because like... Interesting. Like like when it comes... Because, you know, as we've just been talking about, the path, they have this whole sort of worldview that they follow and this whole kind of ideology and this kind of notion of the force that they follow and then you know with the nile it's much more this like raid and plunder you know we're out for ourselves thing and like and so like that's the thing that i kind of struggle with the nile in phase one like with the exception really of martian like i don't find a lot of the other nile all that interesting and Mm. so with you know with the path i think a, a lot of that came down to as you were talking about like you know, when whenever Star Wars can and does speak to the here and now, I think it is always compelling to me. And I think there's so much in there with the path about, you know, about ideas around like faith and conviction and belief. And what do you do when your beliefs get tested? How do you respond to mm-hmm. that? And I think just like a lot of the stuff about the way that they talk about force users and even force sensitives. And then when they discover force sensitives, like among their own ranks and how they react to them. Like, again, if you just think about, you know, again, Star Wars speaking to the here and now, like you think about a lot of what is happening now, uh, you know, it's just like, I remember like the, like one particular moment that stood out. I remember it was in battle of Jeddah. Uh, it was for like the hot minute that Marta Rowe is in the story. And there, there's something because there's, there's like a little bit she's there. And it, I remember like this was a part that came up. I, I haven't written it down, but like it came up there and it just like it was one of those things like you just like perked up and like you paid attention when it happened where like she's with some of the little children and they're on Jeddah, and I think they're talking about Kevmo, or I think like one of them is asking asking Marta about Kevmo, like what happened oh, to him yeah. or whatever. And she's talking about like, oh yeah, like Kevmo, like he wasn't he was a nice boy, he was like he 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 was good and everything, but like he like misused the force, and then like bad things happened to him. And like I remember just like driving or whatever, listening to it, and like that perking up perking up, I'm like, oh, this is some like 
hate the sin, love the sinner BS, like right here, <laughs> like they're doing it. The whole way that they talk about them about like, well, if you like, like, you know, like the, the, these folks who, you know, abuse the force and misuse it. And then, you know, there is vengeance that is wrought upon them and upon nature and upon the world because of this abuse and this perversion of nature. It's like, yeah. there's just like so much of it. Again, if you think about Star Wars in the here and now, it's like, oh man, like, we see this yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. <laughs> Poor Marta Rowe. She actually, you know, oh boy, what are we gonna do with Marta Rowe? Yeah, yeah. It will be interesting to see how we jump from phase two back into phase three, knowing that there is such a time gap. But Marta Rowe is kind of the most fascinating character <laughs> in, in Phase 2. And I want to know what happens to her after She the really ends. is. And that's actually right now, like, getting done with Path of Vengeance and then just kind of looking at Phase 2 beginning to end. That's one of the things that right now I'm sort of struggling with. And I have, like, I have zero doubt in my mind that okay. by the time we get to Phase 3 and get through it all, like we'll see the whole tapestry and the whole picture and it'll make sense. But like, there's a moment right now where when I look back at it and I think it's probably a function of a couple of things. And one of them being the big time jump is like, we got the announcement at phase of phase two and they said, well, we're going to do this jump back in time. We're not going to continue with the kind of quote unquote present day story. And a lot of us are like, huh, I wonder why they're doing the, the time jump. And now we've gotten to the end of phase two and I'm sitting here kind of being like, huh, I wonder why they did the time jump. <laughs> I, I, I think I had <laughs> you know, some, sure. yeah, I, I think I figured that phase two would kind of, I mean, I, I did not expect it and it would have been bad storytelling if we got to the end of phase two and been like, oh, I know what's going to happen in phase three. I know how the Jedi are going to defeat, you know, the, the nameless and the Nile. Like that would have been bad if they had mm -hmm. sig like signaled to that degree. But at the same time, I get to, I, I get to the end, particular path of vengeance, and I'm like, I, I and and then looking back at it, I'm like, I'm at the standpoint of like on the one hand, loving Phase Two. I mean, I think Phase Two is really what made me like fall in love with the High Republic. But then also sitting here being like, I I don't like I I don't I'm not seeing the connection. Yeah, it is weird that we there there seems to be almost very little connective tissue from two back to phase one. We, we understand what the nameless or the leveler is our slash were, but we also know that the Jedi have encountered this problem before. And to the best we can tell, there's not a lot of knowledge that carries up from phase two to phase one. So when we get back into phase three, they're going to be in the exact same position of we've never heard of this monster before. This this condition seems to be uh, new and scary. Where, but we know 150 years ago there's a handful of Jedi that encountered it. So maybe the only way that, like the only, not the only. We shouldn't say the only. Like there's this is the only one way that it will ever make sense. We do know that there are several Jedi characters in Phase Two that make their way, or you know, they're still around in Phase One. So they have that. They could have that conversation. Hey, Yarol Poof, do you remember that time 150 years ago where people, you know, Jedi started to turn into ash? This sounds a whole lot familiar. How did we solve that problem? Well, we really didn't. We don't know what happens because at the end of Path of Vengeance, they, you know, Marta takes the one last surviving nameless that she has, packs it up in the, the gaze electric and blasts off into space. 
and that's it. What, what, ha- what, what, what? It, it's, it, it, it leaves on a very note of like, uh, I hope you got all this because, you know, hopefully it'll be important later on, I guess. Uh, you kind of hope so. Were there any other characters that you really latched onto in phase two in general? Because I was trying to think through like Marta Rowe is probably the one of the most interesting characters. The mother was a fascinating character. Yes. But who who else in phase two do you think has that, you know, who who should sit in that echelon of of amazing characters? You know, the Avar Chris Hall of Fame. Is what it should be called. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, the, that's why that's why phase two gets no stars for me, by the way. <laughs> There's no Avar Chris. Zero out of ten. No, Avar Chris, unreadable. Uh, let's see who else is up there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you about Marta and who's, the so mother. who's up there for do you think? Like, uh, I mean, I think as a unit, Ziri and Fontu are there. I would put them there. Yep, that makes good sense. Uh, I'm trying to think among any of those. Like, uh, I don't. Were there any like new, the newly introduced Jedi characters that you really latched onto? I'm trying. That's that's where my brain went next. I'm trying to think. Uh, it's the one who might be closest is maybe Creighton. Okay, Creighton's son. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know many of the others. Was I like like really went to like wow like this is like a great character you know like one that I really just kind of connected to viscerally. <laughs> Would you not mm-hmm. say that they aren't great characters? But I'm just saying, like from a kind of personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you feel like in Phase One you were over? Were you overwhelmed in Phase One by the amount of new characters that were introduced? And, and was that something you feel like you struggled with? In Phase One, a little bit. Yeah, there is a lot of. It sort of gets back to something that you brought up towards the beginning of the episode in terms of the differences between the structure of phase one and two, which is like phase one has a lot of sprawl. Like there's just a lot of things and a lot of characters happening in a bunch of different places. And you have characters like bobbing and weaving through different stories. Like I was trying to think about this, like imagine if like ahead of the acolyte coming out, you were to come up with a reading list for Vernestra Rowe. Like, for somebody just to, like, get to know, like, who is this character before, you know, you go watch an older version of them. You'd have to be like, okay, you start with this middle grade (laughs) book, A Test of Courage. (laughs) Then you have to go to this YA book called Out of the Shadows. But that has Reef Silas in it. So to understand, you got to read this other YA book. And then she's in this adult book called The Rising Sun for uh, the, the Rising Storm for a minute. Oh, so gosh. there's that. And then she's in another middle grade book called Mission to Disaster. It's like these characters just hop around so much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I remember, like, particularly getting to the end of phase one, I think part of why Fallen Star, you know, had a little bit of a mixed reception when it came out was a little bit of that whiplash of people all of a sudden. He's like, wait, like, Avar isn't Marshall anymore. What? Like, I'm supposed to just know that, you know, like, there's all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it caught people a little bit off guard when they got to the final entry, whereas I think phase two did a little bit of a better job in terms of giving us these kind of parallel tracks. Now, it did a little... I mean, one of the consequences, and you sort of alluded to that, is that you get a little bit of kind of reiterating on similar, you know, plot moments and stories, and we keep going back because we're going on these kind of parallel tracks. Yeah. But I did think 
it did make it kind of easier to follow, which is that, like, if you got, like, the bulk of the Irem Arano stuff, like, you go to the YAs, the, or the, sorry, the adult books. You want, like, the pa- the bulk of the Path of the Open Hand stuff, you go to the YAs. You know, like, you get, you want some of the, like, the, the kind of prospecting stuff. You go over to the middle grade and the comics. So there was a little bit of that that I think is a little bit helpful in terms of just digesting the story from a kind of reader consumer perspective. Hmm. Okay. It, did it feel like the Jedi were taking a back seat in this story in the entirety of phase two to you? Oh, that's a good question. Or do you feel like they played an active enough role in what we come to understand phase two as a whole, you know, phase two is basically path of the open it's a story of the path of the open hand right that's kind yes. of if you had to put a subtitle under phase two it's the path of the open hand and the problems and destruction that it it brings about um i was trying to think through the jedi and their their participation in the story overall and it is interesting that they felt to me like secondary characters whereas the path was much more we spend so much more time with them when they're clearly well clearly is a bad word and they're not really the bad guys but they're definitely the protagonists they're the ones who go out and protag the most everybody else is responding to their actions but we as readers can read along and be, and be like these guys are the, they're the bad guys they're doing the bad things clearly so it's interesting to see kind of the jedi take a back seat in their own story where the whole idea of the high republic is the jedi in their prime but phase two is like yeah but they're not the only ones out and about all right. You, you don't have a similar feeling in terms of phase one vis-a-vis the Nile. No, okay. you don't. Because to me, phase one, the Nile are a problem, but clearly they're an existing problem. Um, they may not necessarily be known as like, oh, the Nile are the ones who are causing extreme amounts of problems nowadays, but the idea of pirates and space Vikings, you know, are already out there and the Republic is trying to deal with those particular threats. And the Nihil just happens to rise to the top of the charts of the most wanted list at that moment for the things that they do. And I think phase three will probably culminate in a better understanding of why that is. Um, and it's probably gonna have, well, I think it's pretty obvious. It has to do with Martians connection to Marta and the hatred of the Jedi that falls through that lineage. But I feel like at least in that particular, in phase one, we're following the Jedi. I don't feel like we followed the Nihil so much as we followed Marchie and Roe. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right. Like if you're, if, if you're reading a chapter that was about the Nihil, you're following Roe himself. Right. Right. Whereas in phase two, if you're reading about the path of the open hand, you could be reading Marta's chapter or the mother's point of view or, um, Kara or no, not Kara. What's her name? Yana. Marta's cousin, Yana, Yana and core and the children and sunshine for some reason. Um, and there's all these different aspects of the path of the open hand that you could be spending time with. Whereas when you're talking about the Jedi, there seems to be one, like a character and their master. And that, that's the important character. That's it. You're getting kind of the inverse of phase one. Phase one, you have a hundred different Jedi you're going to follow around and fall in love with, and you have the one bad guy. But in phase two, you have all these bad guys, and then each entry has its Jedi character, its its token Jedi, and that token Jedi's token master to go along with it. 
Okay, yeah, I can, see, I, I can see. I can see. Yeah, I, I can see that. No, I, th- I think you, I think you're onto something there. That yeah, in terms of we, we you know you don't get a, I think as much of a sense of maybe the order more broadly in this time period the way that you do like what the order is like kind of outside the conflict of the Nile that you do in phase one. Whereas phase mm-hmm. two, like the extent that we we spend time with the Jedi, it is in the context of their entanglement with the path. Yeah. I mean, even, even in like the specific example that you use, when we have characters on the Jedi Council in phase one, and they're also on the Council in phase two, you're talking about 150 years when that seat didn't change. <laughs> yeah. Like Yoda's still there. Yaddle is still there. Yarrow Poof is still there. Porter Angle is still, he's not on the Council, but he's still around. So it's like the longevity of some of these characters is playing against the ability to make them more interesting in phase two, I think. Yeah, I, I I can see that. So I had to take a sip of water. Getting a little dry. I was a little disappointed there was no Drengear in phase two as well. <laughs> There's something about the Drengear that I like. There's something about pure, unadulterated, you know, natural evil. Yeah. <laughs> you can't argue with it. You can't reason with it. You can't barter with it. It feeds. It eats the meat, and that's about all it does. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of a tie-in with those. You know, the Amaxine station where they first discover it in, uh, you know, that second book of phase one. It has a name. It's not, is it Into the Dark? Into the Dark, yeah. Is that Claudia Gray? Yes. That was cool. Like, Where's the Amaxine station in phase two? Clearly the thing has been around. It's up all the way up into the rise of the Kylo Ren uh, comic series. So yeah. the thing has been around. It was so hard to put it another 150 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I think I might be the only person who enjoyed the Gen Gear storyline. I mean, not having read the comics. <laughs> don't know much outside what's in the books see phase one collection's been out for a while you don't get a lot i guess there's no audio for yeah of it so (laughs) oh the good news with comics is it doesn't take but an hour to read the entire set you know front to back so you 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 can do i have great confidence in you enlist in the powers of your local public library and i'm sure we can find a set of it for you that's also where you find the most avar chris action outside of uh light of the jedi i think yeah yeah she's just the best i can't wait for her to come back i'm so excited for her to be back in phase three yeah (laughs) if she happens to just retire in that in that one year interlude between the end of phase one and the beginning of phase three if they're like oh and then she retired and we never heard from her again i quit (laughs) i just quit Is there anyone you're looking forward to returning to see continued adventures of somebody from phase one? It's, it's gotta be my boy, bell, bell Zetafar. I, I, (sighs) he, he was my favorite. Like anytime he showed up in the books and we got like the bell chapters, like that was my favorite part. I loved it. (laughs) What was the, 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 the fire dog, the hellhound. What was his name? Uh, it's char. The spe- it's yeah, the species is Charhound. But what was its name? Really clever naming convention, guys. It had a name. I don't know. It, it, you know, I, I, that's kind of my thing. Is I don't remember the names of things here, so I need you guys to uh, be pulling your weight. 
So, you know, we, mm. we've been talking a little bit about, you know, we, we, we just had this conversation about phase two and, you know, with the jump back in time and we're not really totally sure about like at this moment as we're sitting like, you know, what the connective tissue is or like what the implication is going back to the kind of main storyline. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious as you were reading the books or as even as you're thinking back to all the different, you know, characters and like plot points, are there any things that stood out to you that were like, they're probably going to circle back to this thing that happened in some way in phase three. Is there anything like that? Well, we know that the leveler and the rods are going to be a big deal. Yeah. Well, we expect them to be a big deal. Um, See, the problem, I need to go back and reread Light of the Jedi to understand Irem and Arano again. Yeah. Because I, I know they were in there, but I don't know why. Like, all I remember of Planet Wise was Hetzel Prime. Yeah. Because that's where the site of the Great Disaster was. Um, but we spent so much time with those planets that I feel like that's got to be something we pick back up in in Phase 3 and it's going to play some kind of a role uh, because I'd like to believe that we don't spend all that time on phase two with these, these, you know, Fantu and Ziri in order for them to get to a point where they end the forever war, mostly ish. And then it suddenly doesn't mean anything to the galaxy at large. Like, is that just a message from phase two? Or is that a message from the High Republic? And I'd like it to be from the High Republic as a whole. And so I'm kind of hoping that we'll get back to um, Iram and Arano in Phase 3. What else? I mean, unfortunately, we won't be seeing the mother again. No. No, that was a little tragic. Although, in fairness, the one one, one of the things I did like about Path of Vengeance is how both Marta and Yana were visited by the spirits of the, of the re- of their recently departed um, yeah. persons. Um, very psychological could be, could be just their, their subconscious acting up could be impressions in the force, not really clear. And I enjoy that level of ambiguity. So I wonder if maybe Martian will be haunted by his own particular demons in some way, shape or form. Oh, that's um, a good point. Yeah, it's it, it it's a, it's a it's a pretty tough needle to thread, but you know they've connected worse things. <laughs> I mean, Emperor Palpatine returned somehow, so all we need to throw in there is a somehow, and it'll be fine. So I, I'd like to see the I, I would I wouldn't mind having the mother's perspective come back a little bit because I feel like that was an interesting twist there to know her particular uh, lineage and importance revealed there at the very end of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I, I was legitimately caught off guard by that. I was like, wait a minute, does that mean what I think it means? <laughs> that was kind of cool because the way in which they reveal, okay, if you've made it this far, dear listener, and you don't know what we're talking about, it's because you didn't read or didn't pay enough attention, so I'm just going to blow it up anyway. So the mother is actually the sister of Olivia... Zeveron. Z- Zeveron. I was getting there. Who is one of the Jedi Knights and who has been... been uh, overly interested in who the mother is during their investigations. And it turns out it's because the two of them are related when Olivia was taken as a child into the Jedi Academy 
but the mother, Alicia, was not taken for whatever reason. I don't remember if she didn't show enough for I think that was, was there it. A, yeah. I think that's kind of what we're supposed to read between the lines there, that she just wasn't as strong at that time. Um, but that really did kind of explain a lot more of what the mother had been up to. It's like, oh, oh, she's actually force sensitive and can manipulate people. That's why they feel this way. That's why they behave this way. That's how she's able to gather up, you know, so many followers, I suppose, in such a fanatic movement where all of them would give their life for it, for her, up to a point. What about you? What are you hoping carries over from phase two into phase three? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm think, uh, to think I'm over it, I mean, I think the big stuff is probably going to be, as you mentioned, kind of around the leveler slash the nameless. I mean, in some ways, it's interesting because like, when you look at phase two and you're looking for connections to phase one, that's the kind of low-hanging fruit, the, the place that you go to because yeah. you get the leveler in the one, you get in the other. But at the same time, in phase two, like I don't think you learn all that much more in terms of their lore than you do in phase one because it's sort of to what you're saying uh, bef- uh earlier that like in phase one the jedi encounter the nameless and they're like what the heck is this and then you go back in mm-hmm. phase two and, and like they're encountering the nameless and they're like, what the heck is this like you know it's the same reaction <laughs> that, that they have both times i mean See, that- i'm afraid that they're they're gonna go to like oh because remember when they're on planet x there's the what is it the underdweller is kind of like what we're supposed to understand is like the the mother leveler, yeah. I suppose, who comes out of the ground and is chasing them down in a very Independence Day style attack. And then there's this other monster that comes up, you know, what Qui-Gon would call the bigger fish. Yeah. And eats that one. I wonder if our heroes in phase three have to go find the one that eats the, the other one and, and be like, no, 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 now it's just going to be like this Godzilla kaiju battle <laughs> oh, of, of monsters. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of what I'm afraid of. <laughs> But I mean, we know Star Wars has a problem with monsters, so and animals, so it wouldn't uh, put it past them. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I definitely could foresee a return to Planet X. I mean, technically, it happens. It happens in Eye of the Storm because we see Martian going there. We don't know that it's Planet X at the time, but he goes there to get the Levelers for the Starlight oh. attack. So you technically see the planet there, but I, I could see perhaps phase th- some part of phase three involving the Jedi discovering planet X and going there yeah, and to try to find out, you know, the, the origins of the nameless. <laughs> I think, I think that could come back in some capacity. I mean, in terms of, I, I mean, it is going to be kind of interesting to see like, like what gets dealt with in phase three in terms of this kind of lost knowledge about the nameless, because of course you, you get at the end of cataclysm, mm-hmm. you have that scene between Creighton and Yoda where one, we learn that Yoda already knows about the nameless. <laughs> he has somehow had some sort of encounter with or prior knowledge of the nameless. So like, what's yeah. that about? <laughs> what? Come on. And then also... I, I think we need to refer to that as... We, we need to refer to that as the Yoda ex machina um, <laughs> from now on. It's just... I'm so tired of that character now. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then there is the conversation between him and Creighton about we need to keep, you know, the information about these creatures kind of on the hush hush until we find out, you know, more about them. But at the same time, you get to the end, you know, as you were mentioning, you get to the end of Path of Vengeance, and there's all these characters who've had encounters. There's, I'm blanking on his name, but there's the one Jedi kid who's having, like, the full-blown mental breakdown having encountered them. It's like, what happened? Like, what happens? They get some NDA, like, Jedi NDA, like, keeps them from talking. Like, what happens? You know? Like, like how is this knowledge oh law? Because there's so many people who have now, you know, tangentially experienced this creature, even though they don't maybe totally know what yeah. happened. I want to talk about what happens in precedent, but you haven't read it yet. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. So there is a that, that character who does ex experience the mental breakdown. You do fi follow his story a little bit and he starts writing a journal, but it's his deranged ravings of a journal. Okay. And so that, becomes important and he again is he's the character who comes up with the the children's rhyme from phase one that shri karai karai they're coming to get you all will turn to dust he's the one who pens that so there's an interesting connection of like is this really the only information we have the the raving ravings of a madman with force powers locked in a sanitary, you know, a Jedi sanitarium on the outskirts of the galaxy. Like I'm down for that, <laughs> but I don't really know if we want to pin the strongest bit of connection on, you know, the one manga entry that 17 of us read, you know, it's like, I don't think there's a whole lot of, you know, not as many people are going to read edge of balance precedent as are going to read path of vengeance, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see. Strongly recommend the edge of balance series. A lot of fun. Uh, if you liked F from Visions, you'll like all the characters in Edge of Balance. <laughs> oh, man, that, that, that's how you're going to sell me, huh? That's how you're going to do it. You're going to go for the Village there, Bride. There is, a there is a character in there who might as well be F's Jedi Master. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> all right, all right. I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you'll read it in 30 minutes. You'll yes. be fine. It's not a not a strong investment of time. <laughs> uh, the last note I have to, that I wanted to make mention or ask is that I, one of the things I saw online was that the in, what we what is going to become called the Night of Sorrows, which is the Battle of Dalna, was equated to the Jedi version of Waco, Texas. Interesting. I didn't know if you had kind of encountered that thought or if that springs uh, true in your mind at all. Um, but the idea behind local law enforcement goes into religious zealot compound and by and large murders everyone. Uh, I don't really know that that's a one-to-one -one comparison, but it certainly stood out as potentially. Do you think that the Battle of Dawnla will become to be seen by the Jedi as some kind of failure or some kind of oversight? I'm not really sure what to make of that, but it was an interesting comparison. I want to get your thoughts on that. That is an interesting comparison. I not went to that specifically. I mean, I remember when, when particularly reading Path of Vengeance, my brain in terms of real world analogies more went to Jonestown. 
Now, of course, you don't have quite the same ending. Okay. But you do have, like, I mean, one of the things that happens there is, like, you do get a U.S. congressman who goes down when they set up in, oh, my God, what country is it? I think Guyana. Yeah, that's it. There's a U.S. congressman who goes down to visit with the families there. And then as he's trying to leave, he gets attacked by members of the cult. And so there, there's, like, those, there's sort of those little elements there if you think about, like, you know, Kyung, Greylark going down to Dalna during the battle and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So there's those little elements. But I think it's interesting about your question about will it be seen as a failure? I think that this is something that could potentially get revisited in Phase 3. Or it might even look back maybe not so much as a failure as maybe a missed opportunity where they're going to look back at this moment and think like, that let's say maybe at the end of Phase 2 they're thinking like, okay, like we've had this battle, the path is crushed. It's over, like we've dealt with that. There's this weird stuff with these creatures that people have had this experience, but we're going to kind of, you know, stay on the down low about that. And maybe they'll look back in phase three after all everything that has happened in phase one and be like, oh, shoot, like these guys that we're dealing with right now, they came from these other people. And the same creature that is killing our Jedi now, they were there and we were like right on the doorstep and we stepped back and we had an opportunity to really like crack this and figure it out and maybe nip this all in the bud and we whiffed on it. So maybe it'll be something like that. Interesting, because they failed to stamp it out completely. Yes. There's the the, the, the one little seedling that was Martyro got out. And oh, it see that's us. interesting. That would be an interesting connection. I would I would approve of that. <laughs> hmm. There's a, there's a story in ancient Israel about that too, where they were commanded to go and wipe out a people, but they left a small contingent and took them slaves instead of wiping them out, and that ended up being their undoing for a while too. So there's some some Old Testament analogies we could apply to it as well, perhaps. Interesting stuff. I like it. So okay. So that's kind of like what else in your in your phase two retrospective do you want to make sure we mentioned before we kind of decide, you know, pluses minuses was this better or worse than phase one? What's the other anything else you needed to make sure we mentioned and talk through? Uh, I'm trying to think. I think we may have hit on all the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? That's kind of my list of, of the things to talk about. We covered the path of the open hand, which I think was very interesting. Um, I know a couple of people have talked about the different force using factions on Jeddah that met in their convocation. And it, it, it felt to me like this is the opportunity for the, like an Avenger style get together of all kinds of groups in phase three, but I'm not really sure they're going to do that. That would be very strange to have like, I don't even remember like the guardians of the wills is, is one thing, but I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of other force using sects out there that I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really care about those guys. It's, it's Jedi or nothing. <laughs> That's it. So, so phase two in a bucket, phase one over here on a bucket. If you're going to have to go back and reread one of them from front to back, which one are you going to pick up first? I think it's two. Really? I think so. Why is that? I just I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is like this was the phase where I really truly fell in love with the High Republic. Uh, okay. I, I just yeah, like I love the characters, you know, all the stuff with the path of the open hand. I think just the 
the the comparative tightness of the story that we're kind of focused on the smaller set of characters in these kind of smaller arenas who are really just kind of, we kind of just have sort of the Iram Arano, then Jeddah, then Dalna. And we have those kind of three theaters mm-hmm. and we kind of toggle among those. I think that makes the story kind of easier to follow along with. And then, yeah, just the, you know, the, the characters and the journey they go on, like, you know, like folks like Marta and all her experiences and the kind of internal journey that she goes through with her beliefs. And then, you know, as we talked about Ziri and Fontu and their whole relationship. Yeah, I think I got to go to phase two. What about you? I mean, I think I know your answer, but. I mean, yeah, phase two has no Avar Chris, so zero out of ten, never going to read these books again. Um, no, it's not true. I would read phase one next just because I need to remember all the different things and how they connect. Um, if it were up to me, I I would read phase two and then read phase one. Like I would have, I would consider having published phase two entries first and then come out and release phase one. Like I'm not really sure that the jumping back in time does as much good as if it had just flowed in a more chronological order. Like, I don't know if, I don't know what we get for that. Like, is it, if we had told these in a chronological order where the events of phase two had occurred first and been released first and that where they, you know, the first thing we read about the higher public was the path of deceit. Mm-hmm. Like if look entry we ever read, we read straight through phase two and then you start with phase one light of the Jedi and move forward. What difference does it make? And the only thing I can think of is a possible um, higher public fatigue where it makes a very clear engagement point. Like when phase two begins, it's wildly different and it creates an opportunity for people who miss the train on phase one to engage with the story. Now you could pick up path of deceit and read it and the rest of phase two and not feel like you're missing anything yet. Correct. Because nothing from phase one matters in phase two. Yeah. But if you had reversed all that, now you have three years of media being released in chronological order with no good jumping on or off point. But I don't know that like, is that worth it? You know, uh, maybe we won't know that until we're able to get through all of phase three and look back in the rear view mirror and say, okay, here's how we, could have organized it differently. I don't know. But I, I don't know if the jump in time backwards for phase two is is convenient because that's how Star Wars movies work. We did four, five, six, one, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, or if it's for story beat mix up or audience engagement points or what. And maybe that will only be clear once we get through the whole thing. Or we have celebration twenty twenty five and I get to finally ask a question to some of these guys and be like, so <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> That's just me though. Yeah. I mean, I think you're totally right in terms of, you know, in, in terms of the consumption, I think you could very easily start your high Republic journey in phase two and you wouldn't feel you know, that far afield. And, you know, it's, it's of course the, you know, the analogous thing to those, you know, what, what order do you watch the star Wars movies in? And I feel like when you compare like this structure to, as you know, as you were mentioning with the movies, I feel like the prequels comparatively speaking, make a lot more assumptions about you having seen and know things from the original trilogy. 
you know, from like about the Jedi and the Force and like all this stuff versus with Phase 2, you really don't need to know much about the Nile and the great hyperspace disaster and like all that stuff. Again, the big thread is, you know, the nameless, but again, it's like, you don't learn much more about the, like everybody's as confused about the nameless in phase two as they are in phase one. So you like, it's not like Mm -hmm. you're getting much more Mm -hmm. insight. Yeah. They barely play a role in phase one for like the first half of the couple books. Like they're not an important thing until you get to, is it rising storm? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way they wanted to do it. Cool. Uh, any other parting thoughts? Last chance, last things to be like, this is what I didn't enjoy about it. We haven't talked a lot. Of, we haven't do, do, done any of the, uh, the butt parts of it yet. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think the other, I think one of the issues that I had is much less to do with just, you know, anything that happens substance wise in any of the stories. It's more just about the phase itself is just the pace of the release of material, I think, was quite okay. a lot. Uh, you, know, um. you know, when we had the High Republic panel at Celebration this year, and they were talking about Phase 3, and they announced the much more stretched out timeline for Phase 3, I was kind of like, oh, thank like, yeah, like, <laughs> yes, this is it. Like, this is how to, this is the way to do it. Because I think particularly with Phase 2, because there are just so many good stories in there. And I loved all these books so much. Like it would have been great just to have each of these stories have a little more time to breathe and people have time to read them and digest them. It just kind of felt like for a lot of it, like you're just like breaking that getting through before the next one comes out. That's true. So yeah, it definitely did feel like you're always on the cusp of being behind Yes. If you wanted to stay like engaged and on time with releases, it, it definitely felt much more breakneck pace than phase one did. Yeah. So that's, so I'm grateful that in phase three that they've made the decision to just say like, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit and we're going to stretch it out for a little bit more. I think that's going to be good, both from the standpoint of, you know, people getting to have enough time to actually read these, not feel like they're getting rushed, not feel like they're, you know, a month in and already like, whoosh, I'm, I'm like three books behind, you know? And, <laughs> uh, and also just like giving these individual books, you know, time to shine because like these authors, they all put a lot of work into it and, you know, like a lot of effort and the story, like people deserve to be able to, you know, have this out and have people talking about it for a decent amount of time, more than like, you know, so, you know, some of these books had what, like four or five weeks before the next one came out. Ooh, ouch. So, yeah, I think just for all those reasons, I think it is good that they're going in the direction of phase three that they are. And yeah, it was one of the things that I had issue with phase two, where like there were moments where it kind of felt like work to keep up with it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, hey, you know what, mate? Like you said, phase three is going to be a little bit more spaced out a little bit more breathing room, a little easier for us to digest and apply what we read. Hopefully uh, um, it will be, hopefully it'll be worth it. I mean, we're going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see how well they stick the landing and then maybe we'll see what happens after phase three. I mean, I, is this going to, is phase three the last time we're going to spend time in the higher public? I hope not, but only time will tell. So until then, do you want to take us home? Yeah. So at, 
you know, with that, we will we will wrap up our discussion of High Republic Phase 2. It is, of course, by no means the last time that we will be talking about the High Republic. We will come back to it, you know, as Phase 3 starts getting going in November. Yes, November is when the George Mann book comes out. And I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Brandon and Lindsay over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text still have a couple more Phase 2 books to cover. So they'll be talking some Phase 2 stuff. So... Yeah, we'll talk about it. And of course, you know, we'll, as we're going through phase three, no doubt we will we will come back to some of these characters and storylines and be like, oh, that's why, you know, we were talking. That's why we spent all this time on <laughs> Dolna. And like, you know, here's why we spend time with the path. And, you know, it'll all it'll all click again. Like it'll I said at the beginning, sense in the end, I, I, I have no doubt that we went back to this moment with these characters and these stories for a very particular reason. We just don't know what those reasons are yet. Hmm. So follow along with the show. You can find us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers, or you can stay subscribed to the podcast here. You get all the different shows and all the different episodes here in the feed. Uh, Devor, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at a larger view pod. You can listen to a larger view of the force. You can also listen to Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast <laughs> that I host with my wife, Meg Dowell, where we will talk about. <laughs> our experience in Pittsburgh going to see Taylor Swift for the Eras tour. So that that it's, it's, it's worth listening to. It's bizarre and it activates two different parts of my brain that I didn't really think would go off at the same time, but here we are anyway. So I uh, strongly recommend there. Uh, you can find me on as well on Twitter at the Drew Brett. That's me. Or you can find us in our Star Wars Clashing Sabers Facebook group. Just under that name. Um, jump in there. Leave your comments. What you think. What you like or don't like. Agree or disagree. Um, and tell us why Brandon is wrong about whatever he's wrong about this time. Because we miss him. And hopefully he'll be back soon. Three of us haven't been on a show together in about a month now. I know. Um, and it's starting to get weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to take it personal, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like the kid getting passed between my dads like every couple of weeks, you know? Great. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, well, say hi to your mom for me and uh, let, her, let her know we're doing great. But until then, the, the thing we should always remember is that uh, Phase 2 didn't have Avar Chris. And the other thing that could have made it just a 10 out of 10, 100%. S tier rank series of books. This is the one and only Batch 8. Hi ho. There it is. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?